Welcome back to another episode of the B2B Founder Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Trainer. In today's episode, I speak with David Kelbaugh. After working with big advertising agencies for over 15 years, David started Tacklebox Brand Partners. Initially starting out as a market research firm, Tacklebox has since expanded to a full-service marketing agency. David now uses his marketing expertise towards helping early-stage companies get their brand correct so they can build the momentum that allows them to scale. Today's episode is all about branding. David and I discuss the different misconceptions involving branding, what is his definition of it, and why your end goal should be to turn customers into your advocates. We also talk about the tactics that no longer work and the steps any startup can and should take to build their brand. So tune in and grab some amazing insights on what you can do starting today. Now, onto the interview. Hey, morning, David. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Brett. How you doing? I'm doing well, and thank you for joining us today. We're going to be talking all things branding. But before we do that, why don't you share with the audience a little bit about your background and, and what you're working on today? Yeah, my name's David Kalbaugh. I founded a company called Tacklebox about, I can't believe I'm saying this, but about eight years ago. Before that, I, I worked at the really big advertising agencies for about 15 years or so. Leo Burnett, Ogilvy, Draft, kind of paid my dues and, and learned what I could at the big ad agencies. Great experience, wouldn't trade it for the world. You know, I, I think I'm pretty lucky, Brett, in the sense that I've known since a very early age what it is that I'm going to do for a living. I'm just very blessed in the sense that I've been able to identify it and pursue it like crazy. That's kind of made me a one-trick pony. (laughs) I don't know what the hell else I would do if I weren't doing this, but I love it now as much as I ever have. It's rewarding and interesting and exposes me to a lot of different businesses. So Tacklebox is really a full-service marketing agency. We started out as a market research firm. Let's call it 80% research, 20% creativity. And then our clients asked us to start to scale our services. And now we're as much research as we are creativity. We're as much branding as we are ongoing marketing. So the business has grown. I'm kicking myself that I get to do this every single day. And thanks to COVID, I get to do it every single day in my sweatpants as well, which is just an added plus. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. That's awesome. And, you know, it, some of us are still trying to figure out what we want to be when we grow up. So having that direction early is, is a good thing. Yeah. And I, th- I think having that, you know, I've known a few folks with the agency experience and almost to a person, either they done that, they do that for their entire career or they say, hey, it was a great experience. And I'm going to take what I learned and see if I can, you know, works with some other folks. So it sounds like you took the path of, hey, how do I help, you know, maybe smaller companies. If I, you work with a lot of startups and why don't you a little bit of a, and who you work with predominantly. Yeah, lots of startups. We really haven't actively chased any, what I would consider to be large companies. The ones that we are fortunate enough to work with have really found our found us rather than the other way around. Tacklebox was founded to help the early stage companies, lightly funded usually, really get their brand right, 
and set their trajectory in the marketplace. At the end of the day, I think what we provide more than anything else is momentum for companies. And, you know, you start to look at all the organizations and companies that have found mass market success over the years, the one thing that they all have in common is momentum, no matter how you define it. They're making progress, the winds are at their back, they're getting attention, momentum, and they're getting coverage from the press. They're attracting the right type of employees, the right types of customers. Not all customers are good, by the way, right? I think that's a big thing about branding. I tell my team, I remind my team and our clients too, branding is about attracting the right customer as much as it is repelling the wrong customer. You know, especially, I know, Brett, you've got a real interest in the B2B space, and it's particularly true in the B2B space. The amount of time that a sales team spends chasing the wrong type of opportunity, you translate that time to dollars, and you've just lost a lot of dollars. I'd argue now more than ever is important, is, yeah. is more important now than it ever has been. I think it's so true. We've talked a little bit offline. I've definitely been more of the execution, right? If you're clean with execution, but really since I've been doing the podcast and started back into this, this startup world, the value of you know, the employee experience, the customer experience, and it to create, I love the word momentum because I think that is so true. We see the companies that are growing have momentum. And you know what I really took away from you know, some of your work is it starts with the brand. And I think we throw around brand way too loosely in the sense of brand, but the way you define it and encourage businesses to look and put brand at the center of all business decisions, if I'm quoting you correctly, you are. it's such fundamentally sound advice. It seems intuitive, but maybe you can help us kind of unpack what your definition of brand and why you know, it is critical, especially from a startup stage as you're trying to, to cut through the noise, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And you're totally spot on. I mean, even people in my industry that have done this their entire careers, you, you ask 20 of them to define what a brand is, you're certainly going to get 20 different answers. Right. And I'm not here to tell you that mine is correct, but I'm just here to tell you what I believe, right? Yeah. And so for us, branding is really is the art and science of being remembered. It's really about being remembered. How should my organization be remembered? How do we get it to be remembered in the right way by the right people? That's really what I think branding is. It's not about conveying the benefits of the product. It's certainly not about logos and naming and all of that. It's about getting your organization to be remembered in the right way by the right people. And in my experience, as many startups as we do, a lot of the founders of companies are also the chief product person, right? Yeah. And so as they're going to build out their B2B SaaS platform or their candy bar, whatever it is that they're trying to market, they inevitably have to spend the first couple years in their business building, learning, eating, sleeping, and breathing product. And I think, and I'm not saying that's inappropriate, it's completely inappropriate, in fact, necessary, but I think in working with the product for 20 hours a day as they do, their brain gets rewired to forget about the higher level communication that needs to happen 
to make an impact with the audiences that matter the most, right? And so what happens is when the product is finally ready, whether it's for beta or for launch or it's an MVP, they start to build out their marketing platforms themselves. And so what happens is their marketing platforms, including their websites, becomes a sell sheet for the product benefits. And I'll be honest, 40 years ago, that was perfectly fine because it was relatively difficult to start a business. It was relatively difficult to innovate a product, but the barriers to starting a new business and creating a new product have never been lower. So you've got a lot of people doing it. So I challenge anyone who's building a product or a service to tell me that they don't have competitors. That's how easy it is. Every person marketing a product or service has a competitor. And so if everybody is focused on creating the product and they're all creating similar products and then they're using their marketing as nothing more than a product sell sheet, what happens is all of the, those voices and those brands and those companies start to look and sound the same. So it's very difficult to capture momentum when your brand is the same as your competitors. Sometimes it takes that outside perspective, that alien viewpoint to kind of come in and shake things up a little bit and say, yeah, I understand the what of what you're doing, but let's focus on the why. You know, that's one of the lines of questioning that we like to get our clients to retrain their brain, so to speak. And, and when they do, of course, Tacklebox is a, a business that's interested in profit, but more than that, we're interested in seeing the founders' eyes light up when they see their product being articulated in a way that they hadn't yet thought of. That's like the aha moment for us. And if I can continue to experience that moment for the rest of my life, I'll be a super blessed person. For yeah, sure. That's so good and true. And I, as I started to think about, you know, this journey with the podcast and doing research and, you know, spending almost 25 years in the B2B space, you know, I thought I had all the answers until when I, I came down to be easy, just apply everything I've learned. But you know, talking to founders that, you know, the, one of the stats that I use all the time is, you know, like only 5% of companies get to a million dollars and less than 1% get to 10 million. And I thought that was kind of arbitrary and it's kind of a number. And, but when I started interviewing some of the founders that had gone past those thresholds, you know, they all got stuck at the same place. The dollar amounts differed, but it was when they were trying to expand beyond their network. So the founders have had success selling to the people they know and longer they've been in business, the more people they know, the, the more their sales but it's when they tried to expand outside of their network is, you know, even though they did it, it took them 12 to 18 months to figure out how to do it. And some of those companies never figure out how to do it. And that's kind of my long-winded context to go back why I, I think it's so important to help create that momentum to scale beyond your network. And you have to be able to tell that story beyond what problem necessarily you solve. And so to me, this has almost been like an 18 month puzzles. I've gone through this, I'm like, aha, aha, it all starts making, making sense. But I don't wanna flip that back to you and say, you know, is that the way you would see it that, hey, that we had to create momentum to help you scale beyond, you know, maybe where you're at today and you can through muscle and sheer brute, you can grow your product, but you're never gonna get, you know, that growth without creating, right? The customer to help pull you through that. Right. I mean, essentially, you can start to think of customers as revenue streams, of course, for your business, but maybe more importantly than that, your customers are your media plan, right? 
your customers are now your billboards. Your customers are your digital marketing team, but you need to arm your customers with a way to easily articulate your company's value and why people should care. You need to give them the whisper into their ear, so to speak. Like if you were to tell all of your friends how happy you are with our platform or our service, this is exactly how you'd say it. And that's really the role that the brand plays. Because getting customers and repeat customers, to your point, Brett, will get you a decent amount of revenue. But you're really only going to start to experience mass market success when you have people advocating for you in the marketplace. And so the end goal, I think, of us as marketers is not just to make sales and repeat sales, but to transform customers into advocates. And that's really where the brand comes into play. There's another side to it, which is, you know, even having a good product and a good brand is not enough today, you know. You really have to get the word out. And, you know, in speaking with other people that have been doing marketing for 20 years, a lot of them are overwhelmed with the amount of possibilities now, you know. Not to date myself too much, Brett, but when I graduated college, it was like print ads, billboards, radio, TV, and maybe there's this new thing called digital. We're not really sure what it is. I mean, you had five, maybe six media channels. It was a hell of a lot easier to spend your marketing budget and sprinkle the dollars across six channels than it is across thousands right now, right? And that's why lately my team and I have been thinking about modern day marketing as it's a lot like flying a jet in the sense that it's not a tremendous amount of work once you get to your cruising altitude, but figuring out what gauges to pay attention to, what gauges not to pay attention to, what buttons to push and what levers to pull is really where expertise is needed. You really need a co-pilot that tells you what buttons to push, but maybe more importantly, what buttons not to push because you can waste a whole lot of time and money pushing a button that isn't going to do much for your airplane. Right. So we start to think about marketing as really three disciplines. There's the strategic research side of things. There's the brand building side of things, which is really building out the necessary assets that you as a marketer will need in order to do your job. And then the third phase is really the marketing side of things which is really flying the jet. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, that's so, so in simplified, right? I mean, but it seems like, again, being in this for a while, it seemed like we got away from branding, right? It was all about Facebook ads and getting in front and screaming and say, hey, we do this. But I've seen, and you're much more in depth than this, that we've kind of returned that branding is critical. And it's kind of what we've talked about the first you know, few minutes of the podcast is you can't really build a business without the brand anymore, no matter how good your, your product is. And B2B specifically, I think has struggled. I still, I think you had mentioned earlier, the number of websites that lead with, you know, features and benefits or even consulting agencies that lead, here's the services we do, right? And I used to believe and still do believe you need to lead with the problems you solve. But I think what I'm starting to really appreciate, there's a step before the problems that we solve is, you know, what do we stand for and why, right? That 
at least the companies I see winning and doing well and growing have that in common. Is that a fair statement, you think? It's totally fair. And, you know, in the context of what we do, what I do for a living, you know, these advisors and consultants have been, I want to say whispering, but it's more like yelling at me, telling me that your agency needs to become a niche agency. You need to get good at marketing one type of service, whether it's insurance policies or hedge funds or venture capital funds. And I get that. I bring this up because they're essentially saying that people don't immediately understand if Tacklebox is right for them because we do have such a diverse roster of clients. I think the same would sort of hold true for branding, which is you need to stand by one thing. And you also need to understand that it's okay if not everybody likes your brand. You end up being nothing to no one, right? Yeah, And I know that's a double negative and probably not grammatically accurate, but I think it best conveys the notion of standing for one thing and standing for it loudly, right? Sometimes in my talks, I, I talk about selling bottled water and we can spend a million dollars telling people why your bottle of water tastes better and it's double purified. I make the argument that you could sell a whole lot more bottles of water by saying this is the bottle of water that is for people who believe that Donald Trump is a wonderful president or the opposite. So somehow if you can get your product or service to be a symbol of something greater, then people start to care. Right. You know, the truth of the matter is people will never care about your product as much as you care about your product. So maybe bragging about all of the integrations and the APIs and the advanced functionality and scalability is, I'm not saying it's not important, Brett, but maybe it's not as important as the headline. Maybe it's a sub-headline at best. Yeah. No, I think that's so, so true. And what a great example, right? I mean, talking about a commodity, even though the bottled water comes to tell you it's not, but instantly yeah i guess the devil's advocate in that would say well why would i want to alienate you know half of the country or a fourth a third of the country whatever it turns out to be but i think it goes back to your original point of hey it's only going to resonate with certain folks anyway they probably weren't our customers anyway <laughs> based on it so why are we not going after the ones that really are our customers and make them more you know, maybe passionate, but buy more of our stuff and, you know, really align. I think, are you starting to see more of companies? I know you want them to, are you starting to see more brands starting to pick a lane and really doubling down on what and who they are? Yeah, for sure. You know, there was, you mentioned commoditization a little bit, you know, I think maybe like 10 years ago, this was driven, frankly, by a lot of the venture capitalists out there. They would invest in a company and lean 100% into more performance-oriented marketing, right? The cost per click, the Google AdWords, the Facebook advertising. And that was tremendously effective. I believe that you could build a $10 million company using nothing but low-funnel performance-based marketing 10 years ago. But now that there's a million and one companies entering the space, you're starting to realize that those lower-funnel marketing activities are reaching a sort of diminishing returns. And the venture capitalists are like, whoa, this isn't quite as easy as it was 10 years ago. What are we doing wrong? 
well, maybe nothing. Maybe you need to keep doing what you're doing, but maybe you need to give the consumer more reasons to understand why your company is different or polarizing or not for everybody. We have to stir the pot a little bit. Yeah. It doesn't really benefit companies to serve just vanilla ice cream anymore. You know, they need to be more experimental to gain the attention of, of people and the press, bloggers, influencers. It's just a different game than it was even five to 10 years ago, in my opinion. You know, for the companies that are doing branding right, their lower funnel performance, like the cost per acquisition is, is getting better when they pay attention to their brand. It's still a tough sale. Because of all the things that we as marketers can be doing, branding is probably the least measurable. But it does lift, you know, all boats, so to speak. Yeah, and I think, again, it's hard to measure. I mean, the old world, again, I go back to legacy B2B, right, where we have silos and marketing was, you know, incented and tasked with, you know, marketing qualified leads and sales and just disjointed and, you know, I can't measure branding, so I'm not going to invest in it. Now, you know, I'm come full boat that said, you know, start with your story and, you know, make sure it resonates. And, you know, even with my podcast, not having, I knew I needed to niche down a little bit. I guess you're offline. It started as a hardwired for growth podcast for entrepreneurs looking to scale their business, which was everybody, but nobody, right? At the same time. So when I kind of doubled down on the B2B founders, say, hey, there's nuances within the B2B space and how you grow the company. And it's not just, you know, hire five salespeople and you're going to grow. So it's really helping bring folks like you and tell a story. So people are like, well, why would you, you know, isolate? But I'm like, because that's kind of where the value and I didn't have the science of, <laughs> and the benefit of talking to you yet. So I'm now even more convinced that I need to double down and figure out messaging, et cetera. But, you know, I just think in the world that we're living in, cutting through that noise is going to get harder and to find, you know, your tribe or your, with the shared beliefs, right? A little bit of lingo is going to be really important to grow us to your point. You can grow a nice business, but if you want a scaling business, you're going to have to figure that out. Right. Yeah. Scaling is an interesting thing. I think brand provides a ton of benefits there too, in the sense that if you built 90% of the real estate on your website, talking about your product and then your product has to change or you have to create a new product, because the business model that backed your first product is not viable, then you have to redo all of your marketing assets. Whereas if you'd built all of your marketing communications with a little more brand in mind and a little less product in mind, the amount of work and consequently time and consequently dollars that needs to be spent is substantially less. Yeah. You know, I always talk about Nike and how they never were really, they never were a shoe company. They just happened to sell shoes. And because they had chosen to be remembered by something bigger than the products they create from day one, they've been able to scale into skateboarding, surfing, golf. They could probably be a competitor to Gatorade if they wanted to, because they were so much bigger. They were being remembered by things greater than the quality of product. Yeah. I think that's a great example. I know it's not B2B, but I think the similarities are there because again, and I think Nike and you can give me your expert opinion, it's really about helping people be the best they can be. And I think they focus on the athlete, whether you're a weekend warrior or 
you know, a hardcore athlete, you know, they're the brand that's going to help you even get incrementally better. And so, yeah, I, I got to believe in the early days when they started that campaign, it was, I don't want to say controversial, but it was a different approach, wasn't it? For sure. Very different. Very visionary. You know, I haven't read that book that everyone tells me I need to read sneakerhead or your shoe dog i think shoe dog yeah i haven't read it either it's on my list i think it's on my bookshelf not just on my list i think it's actually on my bookshelf but two kids under the age of eight books are not a big part of my life anymore i'm putting a pause on reading for pleasure but i'm sure that some of the lessons therein are going to be really awesome but listen that's obviously a b2c example i think the principles that underlie great true powerful, emotional B2C brands, those principles can be interjected into the B2B space with some some slight adjustments. You know, like, listen, if you're in the fashion or the apparel industry, you can really have your brand come to stand for whatever the hell it is that you want, right? It's really simple if you're a jeans company like Levi's to have these jeans become a symbol of freedom and independence and Americana, you know, that that's probably too broad of a subject, ownable territory for a B2B SaaS software. But the truth of the matter is you can still connect yourself to things that people already care about beyond features and benefits. It just takes that outsider's view to come in and shake it up a little bit and say, well, what if, Really, what you're saying is blank. And when it all comes together, you've got an emotional layer of messaging with the rational layer of messaging. That's when you know that you've got it right because it all just kind of sandwiches together in the communication architecture in like an undeniably powerful and true way. That's when we get super nerdy and super excited here at Tacklebox, is when it all comes together. Well, and that's the whole the whole point of right. I mean, people listen to this podcast want it to come together. They're not necessarily looking at a solopreneur and a lifestyle brand. It's you know I want to build a company that's going to grow. So, you know, I think it, it makes sense. And just an example, I don't even know if you're familiar with this company, but I would say in the last within the last ten days, four different people, completely outside of you know each other's network, had asked me if I'm familiar with the, the product Crystal Nose. And it's a LinkedIn, basically the disk assessment, and it can it sits on top of LinkedIn. It can go through somebody's profile and basically spit out what their disk profile looks like wow. and give you suggestions of how to connect. Never heard of this company ever, but again, four people who are not affiliates, nothing to do with it, recommended you know checking out this product. So part of my homework is to go back and see what are they doing, right? Yeah. Because in theory, there's a lot of things that you can do with LinkedIn to improve. But the fact that that many people from that many different universes were all talking about it, you know, kind of spiked that level of curiosity, especially knowing that our conversation is coming up. Yeah, that's wild. I'll look at it too. Maybe yeah. we'll compare notes, see what we find. Exactly. So, but I think that was kind of the event of how you can create that momentum. Yes. Right. And maybe they did something intentionally. Maybe they didn't. We'll find out. But whatever they're doing, they've got their customers passionate about to unsolicited to tell other people about it. So at the end of the day, sounds super simple. But if you can achieve that, you're going to probably be okay, Right. (laughs) For sure. And, you know, with that level of attention, assuming that people that, you know, are that into it, 
and it caught their eye, we can assume that the press and influencers and bloggers are going to feel the same way, right? And so one of the reasons why a brand is important is because it's hard to attract the attention of influencers and editors and journalists without a solid brand. Those guys are in a very powerful position these days. They can obviously write about your article, write about your company, and it goes to 100,000 people. But what falls out of that, and you probably know this, are a lot of search engine optimization benefits. If you get a backlink from the New York Times to your website, you're going to shoot up the search engine optimization totem pole and become a lot more visible, a lot more credible. Plus, you can talk about the fact that you were covered in the New York Times. Right. Instant credibility, validation, Instant. right? For sure. And if you start to aggregate and look at the majority of articles out there, especially in the B2B space, Brett, are like maybe 50% product, but 50% something else, right? Yeah. Something else. What is it about your company beyond its product and benefits that makes it substantial, meaningful, and emotional? If you don't have that part of your story crafted, you're never going to capture the attention of the press. And the press now more than ever are super vital. And yeah. podcasters too. No offense to you, Brett. Like, None take. <laughs> no, but you're right. And again, I, where I think I've grown and understanding is, you know, how to grow a B2B company it used to be, well, we've got marketing and we've got SDRs and we've got sales and we've got customer success. And, you know, we run these campaigns and we try to get engagement. But what I'm finding is a lot of the tactics or strategies that maybe some of the solo brands were doing can be quite effective for, for B2B brands, you know, from what we would call influencer, maybe it's now more affiliate or some hybrid of those two, the customer referral programs that we used to take for granted, you know, in the company and just a lot of different channels that weren't necessarily viable before now are almost becoming central to a strategy, right? Yes. 100%. Well said. Okay. Sure. And like I said, it's, it, again, the benefit never too late to learn, right? <laughs> and starting to have these conversations. I think that's why, you know, turning it to, you know, opportunities for startups in the B2B space have never been better just because you're taking on some old school companies that aren't going to connect, aren't going to reach as well. And if you're coming in with a, a new sense of purpose, a new brand, you know, you've got a real chance to just still got to deliver on the quality, but you know, the fact that you can get an audience much cheaper than maybe what, what it was in the old days of even five years ago is, is pretty exciting. Yeah. So, all right. So before I, I want to be respectful of your time, but I know you kind of talk about kind of four steps, right. That a startup or a brand should be thinking about, or a company should be thinking about their brand. Again, highly encourage people to reach out to you, check out your content, but maybe you could just touch on kind of those four steps, you know, before I, I hit you with some of my closing questions. Yeah, I think, you know, the overarching message that's really important to understand is that right now, everything is easier than it ever has been. And when I say easier, I mean, easier to execute, less expensive to execute, but it's also more confusing than ever because there are so many options that we as marketers have at our disposal. 
and figuring out how to use a lot of those resources and which ones. It's really about energy allocation. <laughs> Where do we spend our time as marketers? Because if we spent two minutes a day on everything that we're allowed to do, we would never sleep. Right. And so there's a lot of great resources out there that allow you to uncover what your competitors are doing. There's a lot of very inexpensive ways to get surveys and market research done. If at all you're seeking investment at any point, make sure that you do some degree of primary research, qualitative, quantitative, ideally both. Let the information that you are able to uncover using those tactics inform the insights that will allow you to develop a brand concept. I'm just using that term brand concept now. We're about 40, 40 minutes into it. That could be a whole other topic someday. But if you start to build your brand like much like you did your product, you start to remove a lot of the risk. The idea of transforming your product into a brand becomes a lot less scary, right? So you can develop these brand concepts, share the brand concepts with people who are aligned with what you think are going to be your customer, pick a brand concept, and then start to build out your marketing assets, including your website, social media, all of that. Let the brand concept, which has been objectively reviewed by people who are critical to the success of your company, let that brand concept establish your visual and verbal identity, and then it's go time. Then it's building out the assets and marketing. You know, one of the services that we provide that's been more appreciated now than ever is we'll, again, in the spirit of being your co-pilot sitting in the cockpit of the airplane, we'll tell you which marketing tactics to turn on and to ignore. And that right there could save clients, you know, depending on what their marketing budget is, that could save them millions of dollars over the long term. But you got to be careful. You got to make sure that your brand is, is in tip top shape in order to gain that credibility. I tell our early stage companies, clients, the single biggest thing that stands between you and mass market success is credibility. The truth of the matter is there's companies that have been doing what you do or a variation of it a lot longer. Constantly, I'm reminded of that expression. Nobody got fired for hiring IBM. Right. And I think it's, it's really true these days. So what your company doesn't have in years of experience and fame and trustworthiness, you have to compensate for in the development of your brand. And if you're cobbling together your brand using a Wix website and some horribly designed PowerPoint slides, I'm afraid you're just never going to get the credibility that you need to maximize your likelihood for success and maximize the impact that your marketing is going to have as well. You know, if you have a bad brand, think about your marketing plan as really a disseminator of your brand, right? Yeah. If your brand is bad, then you're, you're magnifying it and multiplying it by thousands of impressions a day. This doesn't end well. <laughs> when it's not going well, you're tempted to drop your prices. When you're dropping your prices, this is not an enviable spot to be in. If anything, you should be raising your prices over time, not dropping them. Yeah, as you say, it's a race to the bottom when you're lowering prices. You're not, never going to win that battle. Never. Interesting. Never. And the one thing I did want to hit you with that I've heard you say a couple of times is, I don't want to say it's not important, but your logo and your name 
are probably the least important <laughs> of your assets when you start, right? You want to maybe unpack 100%. that just a little bit. 100%. Your company's logo and your name, I'm not saying that they don't matter, but you know, most early stage founders and even more experienced marketers tend to think that logo colors and names are extremely important. And I'm not saying they're not important. They're just not nearly as important as people say. There are tremendously successful companies with horrible logos and horrible names. The logo and the name actually start to take on the meaning of the branded material around it more than creating the power. I don't know. People are like, Nike is such a great name and such a wonderful logo. And I'm just not convinced that it is. I think Nike's brand strategy would make a horrible name and a horrible logo tremendously successful because they understand that it's the context that's around the name and the logo that matter, not the name and the logo themselves. I think that's right. I mean, if you started a company called Nike today and you were you know, half-assed with it or, you know, your messaging wasn't clear that you probably could argue that it was a horrible name, right? I think it's right. It's association with what, you know, back to the story, what you stand for. So no, I'm in agreement. And I, you know, I had a colleague once that used to, and still reminds me, he's like, done is better than perfect. Don't overthink it, right? It's really about action over words and it's, you know, you're just reinforcing it. But I mean, I think this is such an important topic for, for founders, no matter where you are in your growth journey, if you're killing it, then maybe, you know, you can still probably learn a few things and figure it out. But if you're early, this is going to give you the best chance of success. And quite honestly, one of the things, you know, with my investment criteria now is, you know, are customers and employees passionate about what you guys are doing, right? I used to think it from a product, but it's more of, can they get behind? Because if your employees aren't passionate about it, it's really going to be hard for your customers to be passionate about it. Then it's going to be really hard to create that momentum. And so as much as some folks may say, Hey, it's just, you know, marketing and you know, branding is soft and fluff. I don't, I've come full circle on that and basically said, no, this is, could be the single most important thing that you, you do get the product. You still got to deliver, but man, if you can't tell the story, nobody's going to know about it. Right. Exactly. Well said. Awesome. Well, every now and then <laughs> I pair it well what I hear. So, <laughs> and so with that, again, I want to be super respectful of your time. And I think this has been super helpful and I may have you come back and we may dig into more of a little masterclass, if you will, on a, a couple of these topics, but, you know, I always like to end with, you know, what's, what's next for you, you know, as we're recording this, we're starting to exit, you know, 2020 into 2021, what's, you know, where's your focus and, and priorities here in the next quarter or so. Yeah, I mean, our, more than anything, we're just trying to be advocates for the brand. We're trying to educate the marketplace. I'm, I'm rooting, absolutely rooting for Chicago to continue to be the startup hub that it is. You know, I've seen remarkable products fail because their brand wasn't good. I've also seen great brands fail because their product wasn't good. The key is to get the product to be exceptional and the brand to be equally exceptional. And of course, to develop the marketing to support it all. You know, Tacklebox is, I think we've grown every single year since our founding. And so one of the things that we are starting to get into is doing more work and advising and marketing services for equity in our clients, particularly interested in the scalable B2B side of things. So that's a part of the business that we're going to be working on gradually, you know, maybe reducing our 
cash request by 50% in exchange for equity of companies that fit our investment criteria. We've already started doing it. I think we've got ownership positions in about six companies, CPG companies, tech platforms. We're sort of industry agnostic. That's one thing. The other thing is we're, we're really working hard on creating solution to inject momentum and revenue into the small retail stores that happen to be around my community. It's a shame, you know, Amazon is, is crushing it, but they're also crushing small business. I think we've found something that if executed properly could really sustain, if not get small retail businesses to thrive despite the headwinds. Yeah. So we'll be kind of revealing bits and pieces of that plan through LinkedIn and, and through our social media over the next few months. Is it gonna work? As time goes on, I'm getting more and more optimistic. But even if it doesn't work, I think it has the potential to revolutionize small business, especially retail, even the playing field with Amazon. Even if it doesn't work, or it turns out to be too complicated, I think it was a risk and an endeavor worth taking. And more to come on that topic. Yeah, and I think you teased it a little bit with a recent blog post, right? Yes. If I'm remembering, right? So it's out yeah. on the website. Go take a look at it, folks. And that's what I love. I mean, I love people that are looking not just to grow the business. At the end of the day, you want to grow your business, but you know what else are you you doing, you know, with it? So awesome. All right. So last question, I promise to let you go this time, is yeah. I ask everybody, what is one thing that you would highly recommend, and it could be professional or personal? I have. A couple things. I think the, the most important thing for me is that I've blocked off an hour of my day for exercise. I've put on the COVID-15. Let's put it this way. I used to be a medium. <laughs> and now I'm decidedly a large wearing t-shirt person now. I actually sent all my medium t-shirts to a buddy of mine that's smaller. <laughs> I said, this is my COVID gift to you. But what I have done is I've blocked off in the middle of the day time to ride my bike for an hour outside. I've invested, spent way too much on outdoor riding gear, but that will make me stand to be committed to it. So every day at about noon or three, going out for a, an hour long bike ride, it is amazing what that will do for your clarity of thinking and mental stability. Yeah, sure. I mean, actually 100% agreeing with you because I started maybe a few months ago where I'm out at 11.45. I try to block 11.45, dove one, and it doesn't always work that way. But yeah, midday, get out, get to run, work out at the park, anything outside just to clear it. It's amazing how much more productive the afternoon has been when I do that. Because if I don't get out and I'm in here from you know early morning to late afternoon, then it's just... It's not mentally, it's, you know, so I love that. I think that's great advice. I don't know if you're a morning workout person, but I've grown to appreciate the midday workouts much more than the, uh, the early morning workouts. Yeah, for sure. Well, good for you for doing it. I, yeah. We'll see if we can stick out the outdoor workout thing in February and January, but. I'm going to we try. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, because I'm not a good treadmill inside person, so I'm going to do what I can to, to stay outside, so. 
Awesome. Well, well, David, thank you so much. And if there's people that want to find out more about you, what's, what's the best way to, to connect with you? Yeah, just visit our website at tacklebox.us.com. You know, there's an email address that you'll easily find on that website that eventually makes its way to my desktop. So I hope to hear from a bunch of your listeners. Awesome. And David, thank you so much for spending the time. I think this is so helpful. And I'm passionate about getting, you know, the word out about getting the, the brand right. And, you know, it could be the difference sometimes between success or failure, not being that dramatic, but uh, you just mentioned it not too long ago, right? You can have a, the greatest problem product in the world, but if people don't know it or you can't differentiate it, you're going to be in trouble. So, um, yeah. And relying exclusively on those lower funnel performance marketing tactics, just they're just not as effective as they once were. And so the times they are a change in Brett. Yes, they are. And that's what we said. If we can get help one or two people at a time, that's what our mission is. So Love awesome. It. Well, thanks again. Like I said, we'll we'll check back with in with you here and you know that maybe the early part of next year and see if we can't come up with maybe some more tactical type of an episode to, to help folks as well. But I thought it was so important for people to understand this and hopefully they they do take action and take this to heart. So appreciate it. Have a have a great rest of your day. You're welcome. Thank you.